Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country was written by Matt Ruff and published in 2016. And the uh, TV adaptation, which came out on HBO in 2020 this year, was uh, show run by Misha Green. Yep. And uh, we are here to talk about this very popular, uh, very interesting and in-depth story. We're excited. It may be a little bit of a long episode. We're going to try to keep it as tight as possible. There's a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to say thank you to everyone for understanding that we had to delay this episode Um, due to a family emergency. My dad died this month. Um, I don't really want to talk about it, but thank you to everyone for understanding that we needed to delay releasing this episode. So yeah, thank you, everyone. Um, We got a lot to discuss, so we should probably jump in. So the opening of the show, mm-hmm. right? We get Atticus, our main character, traveling from Florida up to Chicago because he's gotten a letter from his dad, a worrying letter that yeah. has him concerned about his kind of safety and well-being. Mm-hmm. And so Atticus is traveling. And I think Atticus right away is kind of an interesting character in the fact that he uh, is a lover of science fiction and yeah. horror. And this story takes place in like the 1950s. So, you know, we're in the era of a Jim Crow South, you know, things have not been desegregated and his journey from the South to to the North in both versions in both the book and the show is a little bit perilous. And it's kind of talked about too, like that connection with the sci-fi, like Atticus loves sci-fi novels, but quite a few of the authors are racist like H.P. Lovecraft. Like, uh, the man who... Uh, the man himself. The man himself. I mean, but let's be real, though. How much of H.P. Lovecraft's fame is just because he had a really good name? Like, H.P. Lovecraft. It like, is a good that name. That is, like, Lovecraftian <laughs> as, like, a describing term for genre. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's, like, at least 50% of it. Yeah, and, like, the fact, too, that even if other, like, sci-fi writers weren't racist... Like, they didn't include black people in their stories. Like, it's a very white genre at this time and still is today. Yeah. Atticus has a great line at the beginning about books saying, like, they're like people. You try to, like, appreciate their good qualities and forget about their lesser qualities, Mm. which I really liked, especially today, you know, as we learn more about creative creatives and like authors and stuff who we like their work but not so much them yeah they had troubling opinions (laughs) yeah yeah and i think too this book and the show is really trying to create a space for black folks in sci-fi and fantasy you know yeah it's like they've been here the whole time they've loved these stories they should have been part of this like mythology for forever but they weren't and so it is kind of like going back in time into the 50s and, like, creating this, like, black story, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Atticus is traveling, and he's using in his travels the Safe Negro Travel Guide, which is a publication by his uncle, Mm -hmm. which kind of um, specifies places to stay and places to eat on your travels that are safe for black people, especially in the South. And this is a real reference to the Green Book. Not the movie Green Book, (laughs) but like the actual Green Book that was a publication that, 
you know, black folks had to use to literally travel anywhere. And I think this is perfectly captured in what happens to Atticus in the book at this time. So he's, you know, driving his car from Florida to Chicago and he gets a flat tire. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, well, let me just get my spare. Uh, his spare is flat. Which I mean, I'm, it's happened to all of us. Whose spare right? is inflated, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, shit, okay. And then he like walks to the nearest town. There's no cell phones, obviously. And he goes to the mechanic and the mechanic's like, I don't have any tires for you. Yeah. And just refuses to sell him tires because he's black. So literally think about yourself in that situation. You've broken down on the side of the road. You're in an unfamiliar town. People like hate you and like will probably murder you at the drop of a hat. And you're like, I just need a tire, man. Just sell me a tire. I'll give you money. And it's like, I want to leave. Like, I want to go. Like, help me get out of here. And Atticus has to like look up in the book where the closest like black mechanic is. This black mechanic has to drive like a hundred miles to get to him and like helps him out. And it's like this whole experience. And like they talk about two like needing places to stop to eat food places that you can actually safely get gas, places that you can use the bathroom. Like, yeah, black people had to think about all of those things when traveling. And it was, wasn't just in the South. It was in the North as well. And even later in the story, uh, a cop pulls up on them, like going to the bathroom at the side of the road and gives them shit for it. So there's just like no, yeah, like uh, there's no safety almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so Atticus has a bit of a rough, a rough trip, but I do, and I think it's interesting to him leaving the South and kind of like seemingly, at least in a way, leaving what we imagine as being like the racist part the of worst. America. Yeah. Yeah. In America, for any of our uh, listeners, like the South is in, you know, when we had the Civil War over slavery, was the one, you know, who fought for slavery and is still considered to be much more racist than the North. Mm-hmm. But really, this whole story takes place in the North. Yeah. So and all the shit that happens. Yeah. Happens in the North. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, Atticus makes it to Chicago, ends up connecting with his uncle, who writes the Safe Negro Travel Guide, um, his wife and their child. In the show, their child is a girl. In the book, it's a boy. Yeah. And they decide to go and try to find Atticus's dad, Montrose. Yeah, Montrose has always been interested in his uh, late wife's heritage, like where her uh, parents came from and like trying to track that. And he thinks he like found someone who knows something and he kind of disappeared. And it's a town that is familiar to Atticus because it sounds a lot like a town from one of H.P. Lovecraft's stories or many of his stories, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so they call it Lovecraft Country. Yeah. And so they know it's kind of like a dangerous area for black people just like in general. But they decide to kind of take this uh, risky journey out uh, to try to find him. Yeah. And it's in Massachusetts, roughly. Yeah. 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 So uh, Letty also goes with them, who is a childhood friend of Atticus and who also might be kind of into him. We don't know. It's <laughs> it's teased. They're two very attractive people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and wanted to say, by the way, that um, Atticus is played by um, 
Jonathan Majors. Thank you. I was like, I meant to write, I always forget to write down actors' names. Who was in um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And then Letty is played by uh, Journey Smollett, who was in Birds of Prey. Who had amazing outfits in Birds of Prey, just a side note. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) In that whole movie. So on their trip, they stop in this town. And according to the Safe Negro Travel Guide, there should be a restaurant that will allow them to eat there. Yeah. But when they get there, it's kind of weird. The building isn't quite described right. The waiter there is like super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I really like the paranoia that's captured in this scene. Yeah. That like as black people, they have to be constantly vigilant. Yeah. About any possible dangers or threats. And it's a good thing they are because in both the book and the show, they get attacked immediately. Yeah. And in fact, like some people from the fire station come out after them <laughs> yeah. shooting at them. Yeah. And they have to like get in their car and like run away to escape, basically. It's a good chase scene in the movie. It or is. in the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna call it the movie all episode. I'm saying that now. <laughs> yeah, but just kind of showing like I mean they're in the north at this point and they're literally driven out of town for trying to eat at like a restaurant. Yeah. Um and they're so they're on their way to Artem, which is this town that supposedly Montrose Atticus's father went to. And they just had this terrible experience at a restaurant and they're like, what could what else could go wrong? <laughs> it's time for one more terrible experience. <laughs> and this is another really good scene. Once again, we haven't even really gotten into the sci-fi elements, but they're pulled over on the side of the road trying to find this road into Artem. And a super racist cop pulls over and starts kind of berating them and giving them shit. And he tells them, you know, this is a sundown county, right? Mm -hmm. Which essentially means that if any black people are like just caught or found outside after sundown, uh, people are like legally allowed to kill them. Basically. Yeah. Um, And it's because the cops and the government in these towns and counties in the north in the North, are like super racist. And, you know, it's the type of thing that maybe they're not going to like kill you, but they're going to arrest you, throw you in jail, maybe beat the shit out of you, and then like send you on your way. You know, like anything goes, basically. It's like at their whim. Like what do they feel like doing to you? Like how far do they feel like taking it? Because I mean, there's almost like no situation where a white person's going to get in trouble for anything they do. No, yeah. And it's like this whole mentality. And it's really interesting to talk about because sundown towns are a real like historical thing that happened. And in fact, there are still sundown towns today where it's dangerous for black people to go. Um, And interestingly, like sundown towns didn't really happen in the South because the South was segregated already. Yeah. So it was actually more in the North where this like sundown town mentality, like literally no black people allowed Mm -hmm. was like happening. Um, And there's a really great book um, called Sundown Towns if you want to read more about this that I would definitely recommend. I haven't read it. But the author of Lovecraft Country kind of references it as like a book that he read when he was writing this book as well. Um, And I do want to mention that the author of his book is white. So yeah, yeah. Something we'll probably bring up again later. Um, But it kind of is this like interesting chase scene where the cop is like, you know, you have 15 minutes until the sun officially sets and like you better drive south right now if you want to get out and like. But you better not speed or I'll pull you over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like this slow, intense chase where the cop is right behind them and they're trying to get out of the county in time. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, they get pulled over it's anyway. A it's a trap. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> um, so and at this point, it's kind of funny in the book, um, Atticus and George have 
seemingly left Letty back at her brother's house, which yeah. they had visited. They're like, you can't come with us. It's too dangerous. Yeah. Letty. But of course, uh, when they're in this situation, they get let out into the woods by the police. They're going to be shot. And then suddenly the cop cars catch on fire mm-hmm. and it's because Letty was in the trunk and like saves their asses, which yeah, I love. I, I love really like that reveal. <laughs> yeah. I love that. They were like, you can't come. And like, they're like, oh, she's pouting. She's not coming with us. And she was like hiding in the trunk. The which time. is the second time she saved them. because She also helped a lot when they escaped that town. Yeah. Um, but there's also kind of this mysterious element where the cops just start like disappearing into mm-hmm. the night, like into the woods. Yeah. And they manage to escape and find Artem, uh, the town they were looking for. Yeah. But clearly things are scary at this things point. Things are weird. Uh, the show definitely takes it up to 11 <laughs> immediately yeah. because they're going in the woods with the cops, just like in the book. But then literal monsters show up and start, like, devouring the cops. Shoggoth? Shoggoth? Shoggoths? Shoggoths? They are a creature from H.P. Lovecraft's uh, stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, kind of many-eyed. I think in the books they're more, like, blobs, but in this they're more, like, uh, pit bull kind of looking monsters. Yeah. Um, But it's very, like... They're running and they're like, go into that creepy, empty cabin, like a very (laughs) cabin in the woods. Yeah. Pulpy, cliche kind of setup, but it's like fun. Um, And all the white cops die. And Letty once again saves them by getting the car. Yeah. They're Uh, able to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uncle George has bad knees. (laughs) And this whole time I'm just like, oh, God, when is Uncle George going to die? Like, it's going to have to happen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. But. You know, they escape, they find the town of Artem, and Artem's a very weird location. Yeah, you're like, this is a cult. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Immediately, you're like, this is a cult. All the people that live in the town are, like, kind of Amish. Yeah. Like, they don't have, like, electricity. They're very, like, kind of country, like, simple, make, like, churn their own butter type of people. (laughs) Yeah. It was weird, because, like, they seemed nice, but then were like, just like your average amount of racist, you know what I mean? Like, I expected them to either be like the most racist people ever or like weirdly not racist. Yeah, like, they're sheeple. <laughs> they're being led by Samuel Braithwaite. They follow his lead. Yeah. They yeah. don't care about anything. That's true. And, and like, it might be a thing where like, they would be super racist, but he was like, don't be racist, like, or try not to be. Yeah. And they're like, we'll try, but we'll probably won't be good <laughs> no at it. No promises, man. <laughs> but, like, the center of the town, or, like, the village, I guess would be a more accurate description, yeah. um, is this, like, fancy manor house. So George, Atticus, and Letty make their way there. And they're instantly welcomed, and they're like, oh, you've been expected. Like, we've been expecting you. Like, very sinister. Like, hello. <laughs> welcome to your prison. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and they're like, mm, these white people being nice to us is, like, a bad sign. Very very get out. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and I think they quickly deduce that, like, you know, they're told immediately that Montrose, Atticus's dad, is not there currently. Like, he took a trip to Boston. Boston, But they're like, nah, he's fucking here. Like, something's going on. Yeah. They find out, too, that so the owner of the lodge is Samuel Braithwaite. And he's, like, into magic. He's like a white warlock wizard bullshit <laughs> going on. Part of this Order of the Ancient Dawn or Adamite Order, whatever you want to say. Yeah. It's supposed to be ancient magic. It's never explained. We don't know what it's what's going on with I, it. I feel like there's a lot of explanation, at least in the show, 
about the language of Adam that they use to cast spells. Like, there has to be intent, there has to be a body, blah, blah, blah. They do a lot of explaining, but I never felt like I had a grasp on, like, the rules of the magic or anything like that. Yeah, and it's called, like, Adamite or, like, Adam, and they keep trying to, like, go back to Eden. But, like, was this the original language that Adam used? Like, what is the basis for this? Mm -hmm. It's never really explained to us. But we do find out that um, Titus Braithwaite um, was kind of, like, the original slash most powerful warlock in this order. And he tried to cast this spell to kind of return to Eden or capture power of Eden, but ended up just, like, burning himself alive and, like, everyone with him and the whole house to the ground. And now Samuel Braithwaite is like a distant cousin relative to Titus, and it's going to try to do the same thing. But of course, he needs Atticus because Atticus is actually a direct descendant from Titus. Yeah, Titus um, raped his uh, housemaid, most likely. I'm not sure we ever get into the details too much, but um, the housemaid escaped the fire and then later gave birth to... um, Atticus's like descendants ancestors. Or, or yeah ancestors the other sorry. way the other, <laughs> the other direction of what I said <laughs> yeah um, so yeah. Hannah like escaped from the fire that consumed the house and everyone in it you know carrying you know Atticus's ancestor and so he has the blood of Titus in him and which is needed for this magic in some way I don't know yeah some bullshit <laughs> they do make a failed uh escape attempt they find their dad they find Atticus's dad and they try to uh, get out, essentially, which is what's their whole goal. They were very smart. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're like, like, okay, let's get we out. We need to get out as soon as possible. Um, Take a car yeah, and just go. Yeah, but they are uh, stopped. And uh, in the book, Montrose is shot um, and, like, kind of healed, but, like, still in not great condition. Yeah. And so that's used as leverage against Atticus. In the show, both Letitia... <laughs> And George, Uncle George are shot and Letty is like just saved and Uncle George is like not just still shot, still shot. (laughs) They're like, let's not help the older one with the bad knees. I guess they're like, okay, we shot both of them and we healed Letty. So like now you can see what we can do now do the ritual and we'll heal George too. Yeah. Um, There was also some bullshit at one point about like. (laughs) In the show where they each are like fighting an internal like monster from their past or some kind of like manifestation of their fears. Yeah. It was like very unnecessary. It was. Because this was the second episode of the show and it's already jam packed with like a lot of backstory. A, a lot, lot of exposition. Of, a lot of exposition. And then um, this part was like. I don't know, like Atticus gets hurt at one point and then like clearly his wounds aren't there. So you're like, was he ever in danger? And no one ever talks about what they experienced. Also, like Letty and Atticus were in danger, but uh, Uncle George got to like dance (laughs) with like the woman he loved. So like clearly the experiences are very different. Maybe they were like, he has bad knees. Let's like go easy on him. (laughs) Can he dance? Are his knees good enough? to Let's let's just let him slow dance. Uh, But so we begin... The ceremony or the the spell uh, that Atticus is going to be sacrificed to open the Garden of Eden once again. We get some very white people magic bullshit. <laughs> uh, and uh, Atticus is and this is where we kind of get like a, a bit of a variation. It's similar. But in the book, 
that Caleb Braithwaite, the son of Samuel Braithwaite, kind of um, fucks over his dad. He gives Atticus like a secret message to read, which is like a, a separate spell. Yeah. So during the whole thing, Atticus reads this spell and it like screws everything over. And it kills everybody. Kills everyone. Except Atticus. Except him. Yeah. So like Caleb kind of like does like a power grab in this moment. He kind of yeah. uses it. And I mean like saves Atticus and like everyone else. So it's kind of like a win-win. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for Samuel Braithwaite who's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and all his friends. And all his friends. Uh, the show is similar. But fun fact. Um, it was very confusing. Well first of all. Caleb Braithwaite in the show is Christina Braithwaite. Yes. So we got a gender swap there. Yeah. So we will be calling them. Caleb Christina. Caleb Christina. Calebrina. Chris Salem. <laughs> <laughs> what have you. Um, Christina. So when we watched it, you know, uh, they're, they're, the, the, the spell's going on. And, like, there's blue electricity and gold light flowing out of Atticus and, like, the gardens opening with, like, the florals, green the green vines. And then this shadow thing happens. And then the spell is just backfiring. And Atticus sees, like, his ancestor who escaped previously. And, like, then everyone dies. Like, a lot is happening. And we have no idea why I, this happens. Yeah, we just assumed the spell backfired. Yeah. And then later... There were mentions, um, I had to go back and double check this, but like Atticus says, oh, Christina used me as a Trojan horse. And Christina even mentions in the final episode, like, oh, I killed my whole family. I need to know it's worth it. And so I went back and watched it. And what happened was uh, Christina was the one who gave Atticus his ring. um, That is like for the order of the ancient dawn. Like it's their like club ring. (laughs) And during the spell, the smoke came out of that ring mm. and I think is what fucked everything up. So that was the thing that saved Atticus. So it was similar to the book. The problem is with the visual effects of that scene with so much going on, like neither of us picked up on like what actually happened. We had no idea what was happening. And in fact, we had a whole conversation yeah. about <laughs> what actually happened in the book versus the show. And Ian had to go on this detective journey. Yeah. Like retracing our steps well, to find out. And you found an article from a person who was explaining why they loved the show. Because it seems like Atticus just overcomes the spell with yeah. his own power. Yeah. Or like with help from the, his ancestor, Hannah. Yeah. And they were like, I love this part because it avoids like the white savior kind of thing, which yeah. I don't think it is a white savior moment, but like it removes that part of the story. But the problem was it doesn't. It was there. It, it would was just, just hella confusing. It was super confusing. So we were not the only ones really confused by this moment. Yeah. And I think this problem continues throughout the show yeah there's just so much going on and like visually it's very like overwhelming um and also to be fair like to you know say our part in this like we're taking notes when we watch yes 
So like we're looking, we write something down. We look back up, we write something down. So sometimes we miss stuff as well. So the fault could also be on us. But I, I think like from the things that we've read and things that we've seen online from other people reacting to the show, that a lot kind of happens and people like have no idea where they are and get kind of lost. Yeah, there is, even from people who like the show, I was listening to a podcast, there's still a lot of debate about like what really happened in this scene and like why these things were occurring. So... Yeah, I don't think it's just us. Yeah. Um, but once these, once this incident occurs, uh, in the show, the entire, like, castle collapses. Yeah. Um, and also in the short show, Uncle George dies. Like you predicted. Like I always knew. I'm <laughs> like, you can't have a man with bad knees running around in the woods for that long. Who's, like, very nice. Yeah, it, like, you know the setup where, like, the dad is mean. The uncle is nice. He's so sweet. The he, uncle's going to die. He's a loving wife. Like they have like a very minor problem that gets resolved in the first episode. And yeah. you're like, mm, it's not looking good. I don't see much of a future <laughs> for this guy. Nice guys get killed immediately. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but in the book, no one dies. Yeah. And the castle doesn't collapse and they're just like all fine and they get to go home. Yeah. So kind of a that's our one of the first big I mean t- divergences. Uh, Samuel Braithwaite dies and everybody else, but Oh yeah, but I mean they don't, the important they don't matter. People. No, I don't care about <laughs> I don't care about Samuel Braithwaite. <laughs> then we get to like the biggest shift, I would say, in both the show and the book, which is just like the next chapter in the book and the next episode the third episode in the show which is like a totally different story yeah because after the second episode you and i were like where is this show gonna go from here yeah because that plot line seemed like such a big like climax and it was seemed like really wrapped up and i thought i'm like you know there was mention of like other chapters of uh this organization the wizards the wizards the white wizards (laughs) the ww's yeah (laughs) the white wizard foundation wwf uh, spread across the U.S. And I'm like, oh, and Uncle George has Uncle George has the Safe Negro Travel Guide. I'm like, I bet they're going to travel across America and try to, like, take down. And, these, like, like, kill all these white kill wizards. Kill all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. And then they just go back home and Letty is like, you know what? I just got a bunch of money mysteriously. I'm going to open a, I'm going to buy a house. Yeah. In a white neighborhood. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, what, I, what's happening? I was not expecting this to be the next plot line. <laughs> yeah. And I think this kind of sets the stage for the rest of the show and the book, which is like these very kind of isolated episodes, but with this overarching plot. So like kind of very specific stories, like we get Letty buying this house and like the house might be haunted. And then we get other stories that are kind of more specific, like genres and like references. And I don't know if I knew that going into either the book or the show that that's what this was going to be. So I don't yeah. know if that was like a problem in the uh, like marketing or what. Well, and for me, I think I think part of the problem is that the first two episodes are, are complementary. So tied together. It almost feels like I don't know if this is the case, but like it feels like those would have been aired back to back. Yeah. Like, oh, catch the two episode premiere of Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Because those are tied together so much. And then the other stories are very individual. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it, too, is that like you watch those first two episodes, you're like, oh, this is going to be. This is what it's like. Yeah. But and then, then you're it's like, not. no. <laughs> but I felt the same way about the book. I was like, oh, what? Like, what's happening now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Letty, you know, comes across money mysteriously in the show. 
she doesn't talk about it at first, but it's an inheritance from her mother. And in the uh, book, it's like money that she thinks was owed to her dad that came to her in a very weird way. Yeah. Um, but she wants to buy this. She wants to buy a home, a large home in like a white neighborhood and mm-hmm. possibly have like borders or people, you know, to rent out rooms and kind of like try to be progressive in that way to kind of like push the boundary for black folks and like where they can be and live. Yeah. And this like brings me to another topic that is good to bring up about this time, um, which is redlining. Um, And this also happened in the North um, where black folks were not welcome in certain neighborhoods. And it wasn't that they didn't have the money. It was that no one would uh, give them a loan to buy Mm -hmm. a house Or no one would sell them a house. Like, the realtors would just not, like, even give them the option. Well, and I don't think a lot of black people wanted to because it was dangerous. And it was dangerous. And, like, it's interesting what Letty faces in this situation because the house is haunted. So she has this, like, ghost that's trying to, like, get her out, basically. Yeah. And the ghost is racist. Um, (laughs) It's the ghost of Hiram Winthrop, who owned the house before, and he was also magic. So he's another white wizard bullshit person. Yeah. But now he's dead and he's still causing trouble. But she's also facing harassment and like violence from her white neighbors as well. So I really like this juxtaposition of like Letty facing like an actual haunting and then literally being like having like poltergeist neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this balance has struck really well in the book. Yeah. It, it is. It's like, oh, the racist former owner. And then, like, all of her racist neighbors and kind of that internal and that, external. Like, get out. Yeah, You're yeah. You're not welcome here. Yeah, kind of, like, facing it from within and outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the book, Letty uh, kind of discovers there's a room that the ghost, I think, likes. Yeah. And doesn't want her to enter. And she kind of makes a, she kind of befriends the ghost and ends up, like, playing the ghost in chess. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I love chess. She enough. outsmarts. She beats him she in does. chess. And then he's kind of like, all right, I guess. I think there's like almost like a begrudging respect there. Like, yeah. I think he's still racist, but like, you know. And so there's a night when these neighbors kind of like enter her house. They're going to yeah. like try to burn it down. And we kind of get like this classic haunted house situation where they start getting picked off yeah, and like attacked by the ghost. And I really loved this. And like, none of them die. No. Um, the police end up coming and like finding them and they're just like freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, and after that, like Letty kind of keeps that room that the ghost liked, like for him. Yeah. That's his space. They come to an arrangement. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I like this a lot. I do want to mention just briefly, if you're interested in learning more about like sundown towns, like uh, Jim Crow stuff, and then also like redlining, I would highly, highly recommend reading uh, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Mm, Wilkerson. It's so good. It just talks about um, black folks kind of like migrating to the north, like from like the 1920s, basically to like the 1970s and talks about so many of these topics that are coming up in this book and in this show as well. It's so, so worth a read. Yeah, because I mean, I love that this book pulls from a lot of like real life situations. Yeah, and, like, but you kind of want the real story too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you do learn a lot, but like when it's tinged in like sci-fi and fantasy, I think sometimes it's 
you're a little bit like it's diluted yeah you're like where's the line of reality versus you know um fiction so it is good to read like those real accounts or more factual Mm -hmm. um yeah the the show's a little more complicated with this plot line because we find out that uh Hiram Winthrop had a like successor named Epstein (laughs) Uh, (laughs) is this a conspiracy I don't know Uh, yeah I don't I don't know what the if that was intentional or not but um Epstein was like a mad scientist who experimented on black people. And this was like loosely based from what I read on a white man who practiced like either surgery or something on a black woman. Oh, gynecology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Without like anesthesia or anything. Um, And so it's like the black people haunting the house, but they're just like, they're also victims. And then uh, Letty gets a, a woman to kind of like perform an exorcism. Montrose gets possessed. It's really, or I'm sorry, Atticus gets possessed. And there's kind of this really wild part where like all the black ghosts come and like help exorcise the ghost of Epstein, the white guy. Yeah. Meanwhile, white people are also breaking into the house. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're also getting killed. Yeah. By the ghosts. By the ghosts. And like, this was a thing where like, I love kind of the setup of the book. Because it, it's simple. It's like, oh, the external you know conflict of the neighbors and then this internal thing, they complement each other. And that gets really, I think, diluted in the show. Yeah, it ends up being like about these tragic stories of these eight black people who were like murdered in this house and like tortured. But like we don't really learn much about them and it's kind of quick and it's just like sort of a plot point. And it's like, oh, we need these black ghosts to help me exercise like the white ghost. Um, and we don't really ever deal with after this episode, like what happened to those people? Like, and what was their story? And you know, are they at peace now? Like not really at all. And the white people breaking in just feels like it was there because it was in the book kind of, but it doesn't really add to it. It just happens like in the peripherals of the main exorcism plot point. Yeah, I agree. So it kind of just felt like the show is kind of like adding more to this, but then not really complimenting what was already there, I think. Yeah. So, Letty has a sister, Ruby, and the two of them have kind of like a strained relationship. And this is explored a little bit in this episode and in this part of the book. Um, and Ruby like kind of starts out living in the haunted house and then is like, fuck this, like I'm leaving. Um, but I just want to mention here, kind of like in the show, the kind of colorism that's present in their dynamic. Yeah. So Ruby is uh, darker skinned and Letty is very light skinned. And like, you know, this can definitely be like a problem sometimes, um, whether it's treatment by white people and like preferring the lighter skinned Mm -hmm. or sometimes like treatment by other black people and kind of preferring those like lighter skinned um, qualities. So this dynamic is kind of present in their relationship and continues, but is never really like explored in the show at all. Yeah, because I mean, this is, you know, like, you know, we read the Malcolm X autobiography and like he talked a lot about that because he was actually a very yeah. light skinned uh, black man and kind of like the favoritism he sometimes received for that, like even from like his own father. Yeah. Um, you know, this was something that was very prevalent at the time. And given that they're siblings and, you know, their skin tone is very different, 
Like, I am surprised that the show didn't ever really address that up front. Yeah, and especially because Letty is kind of seen in multiple scenes as kind of like taking advantage of Ruby a lot. And yeah, and considering where Ruby's storyline goes specifically in the show, um, yeah, there's kind of a lot to gestate over that. And other people have, uh, you know, given their own opinions. Yeah, uh, we read a really great uh, New York Times article. Yes. That I'm, discusses this. I'm sure we're going to reference it a couple times. We're definitely going to post it in Patreon. So yeah. uh, give that a read. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also find out that at the end of the episode that Caleb Braithwaite slash Christina Braithwaite um, was actually behind all of this. Yeah. Letty's mysterious money. Yes. And it makes more sense, I think, in the book because we got more insight into what led to Letty purchasing that house and her kind of being steered towards that. Yeah. And Caleb also explains, like, he has kind of intuition almost, like almost magical intuition. And he thought, um, Letty would do a better job than he would at, like, exercising the ghosts. Yeah. In the show, uh, Christina wants the orrery from the house, which is kind of this planetary model, Mm -hmm. mechanical model. And I'm like, why didn't she just take it? I don't know. Like the ex, and also like it wasn't explained like that. Letty was steered towards buying that specific. Yeah, you're it, like, how did this happen? Yeah, it seemed like totally her decision just to buy that house. Yeah. Um. So it just left a lot of questions for me in the show when we found out Christina was behind this all. I'm like, why? Yeah, but she's back. Slash, he's back. (laughs) (laughs) And things are going to happen from now on. And now we move on to the next episode, which I like to call Indiana Jones and the Temple of Racism. (laughs) (laughs) Some Indiana Jones shit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is um, very uh, unique um, in both book and movie. I don't like it in the book. I don't like it in the show. Yeah, it it's definitely like going for that because I mean, the thing that's interesting about the book that I wasn't expecting, I was expecting it to like be totally drawing on H.P. Lovecraft as kind of a horror yeah. um, writer. But really, it's kind of drawing from just like multiple points of like pulp fiction. Yeah. Um, and like genre writing. Yes. And so like this story in both versions is very much kind of this like adventure. Yeah. Indiana Jones bullshit, you know, where they're like (laughs) breaking into a museum and like finding like clues and, um, doing puzzles and like kind of weird shit like that. Um, the book is a little simpler. They're, they're tasked with breaking into Titus Braithwaite's hidden, uh, chamber that apparently holds the book of names. Yeah. And it's kind of just this isolated, like, orb-like room that's kind of like this gravity thing mm-hmm. that they have to, like, figure out, like, find switches and stuff. It is a puzzle. Yeah. And... But it's, like, limited to that. Yeah. And Caleb Braithwaite has asked them to do this. And he's kind of holding hostage this family book of uh george and montrose because george is not dead in the book no um so he's, he's alive he's and very kicking. active in this uh episode i would say even though it's not a show yeah um in the book and so they're like okay if well, i'll give you back your family book if you get this like magic book for me in this like portal thing so they do and they end up like exchanging it so it is kind of more simple 
Um, and I want to just talk like a little bit about the family book. Yeah, it's before we I, talk about the show. It's very interesting. So, um, it's from their ancestor, and it's called Abdullah's book, and it's basically um their last family ancestor who was a slave. And she was a slave for a certain portion of her life and then was freed. And they kind of describe this book as almost like her exercising like her own demons from slavery and like the Mm -hmm. trauma that she endured. But basically she added up like how much money she was owed from the white people that owned her from her labor. And she was like, hey, I knew how much I was worth because he would rent me out to other people and like told me how (laughs) much he would charge for my work. Yeah. So she added it all up. You know, she subtracted like, oh, he paid for my clothes and food and like kind of did all the math and like laid it all out. And, you know, this white man owed her this amount of money. And then her aunt, her descendants um, for years and for generations would go back through the book and they would add interest to it. Yeah, they'd figure out if she was paid this and she invested it or like put it in the bank or just, I guess, natural interest. How much would our family have right now? And I love this because it brings up the idea of reparations. And I'm not going to get super into it, but just basically the idea that black folks have been robbed. Um, because their labor was stolen and white people were able to take that stolen labor and translate it into money and then pass that money down to their descendants. So when you talk about like the wage and the poverty gap between black and white people in America, it's a direct result of this wage theft that happened. Yeah. And it's interesting because Ty- um, uh, Caleb Braithwaite actually pays off this debt because he yeah. had the book. And it's kind of addressed later. Montrose has a scene in the book with Caleb and Caleb's not like, oh, I did this super great thing for you. Yeah. But he is like, I mean, it wasn't my debt and I paid you for it. And so like you kind of owe me now a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And Montrose is just like, like, you know, fuck you, basically. And I think it is interesting to see someone like who's very well off like Caleb. And just the fact that he has the ability to pay off a debt like that. Yeah. And it's not like a huge deal to him. Mm-hmm. And just kind of see. You have to wonder how much, ma- how many slave labor that he was benefiting off of to give yeah. him that amount of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just kind of like start to think about it a little bit more in like how much Caleb has benefited as an ancestor of white people, as a descendant of white people. <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to keep getting those words mixed up. <laughs> And how people like Montrose have suffered from it. Yeah. And like that disparity that continues to exist and grow over generations. Yeah. Interest compounded. Absolutely. So I think this I think the book does a good job of kind of like addressing that, like not in like a too over the top way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The show, Indiana Jones bullshit episode. Yeah, it's just so many things happen. Like there's a plank that they have to walk (laughs) and then the plank disappears and then there's water filling up the tunnel and then there's blood on the door. And also Montrose and Atticus are like, like Montrose at this point has been established as like he was a very abusive father, like physically would beat Atticus a lot. But like he's kind of wackier in this episode, a little (laughs) bit more like. Uh, I don't know, trying to do these Indiana Jones things and like, I don't know, it's a little goofier. Yeah. Uh, Eventually in this crazy underground whatever, they come across like a buried ship and discover a corpse that reanimates when they take these pages because in the show they're after just like these lost pages. Yeah. Um, And when the corpse reanimates, it is a person 
uh, an intersex person yes. named, wh- what is it? Yahima. Yahima. Okay, yeah, Yahima. Yeah, and we find out that Titus basically used Yahima because they could read this ancient language of Adam for some reason, killed their whole like family and tried to kill them too, but somehow they survived. So they're like, okay, Yahima can read these pages and translate them. We'll take them with us and like, then we will know like kind of where we're at. Yeah. And like, there's a mysterious elevator that leads back to Letty's house, even though they went, they traveled like hundreds of miles to get to this other location. This was so confusing to me. I was very confused. Because like the elevator leads back into Letty's house, which obviously like they didn't know about, right? Because they would have just taken the elevator down. Yeah, But they don't seem surprised by it. The elevator's there. Yeah. Yeah, I I had no (laughs) idea what was going on here. I was very, very confused. And then adding to this, like Yahima, who is an indigenous or native person, um, is unable to speak when they get to like the surface, their voice has been basically taken away from them from Titus. Um, And then Montrose just murders them. Yeah. So super random, super violent and super disturbing considering that this is an indigenous trans slash intersex character that we've just been introduced to. And the next thing that happens to them is that they are murdered. And considering that this is the fate of so many indigenous and like trans intersex or just LBG, LBGTQ plus yeah. people, like it's really troubling to have this in the show. I, I was genuinely like when we first watched it, I'm like, th- they didn't actually die. Like this is a uh, yeah. this is a sci-fi show. They were a reanimated corpse. Like they'll come back, right? Yahima can't be dead. No, Yahima's genuinely dead. And like the fact that Montrose just cold-bloodedly killed them, like is so disturbing. And is not really addressed in subsequent episodes. No. And so, like, clearly there's a huge issue here with, like, kind of the representation. And Misha Green, the showrunner, did address this in a tweet saying, like, this plot line wasn't handled as well as it could have been. Um, Misha said that um, her intention was to show that, like, you know, black folks could also oppress others, even though they were imp- oppressed themselves. And kind of showing that the oppressed can also oppress others. But I think... They completely, this entire show team, because it's not just the showrunner, it's the yeah, whole team, yeah. missed the mark and should have said something and been like, hey, maybe we don't murder like an intersex trans, like native person on the show. Yeah. Like, maybe that's not the route we should take. Yeah. And I think kind of part of this is the show. And I, I, I felt this way, too, about other adaptations that are shows like little fires everywhere. Yeah. Where they want to include more commentary on more um, perspectives of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with that is, and like specifically in this show, I don't think they're able to dedicate the time necessary to these subjects. Yeah. So like in this case, oh, you're introducing a person who's intersex and also indigenous. Cool. Like that's yeah, great. That's awesome. And yeah, they get killed and that's like really fucked up, especially like how short of a time they have. Like you only have a moment with them. Yeah. Um, And so if you screw up that moment, 
Like, you screwed up that entire representation within your show. Yeah, and you're like, what was the point? Yeah, and similarly, Montrose's character, um, at this point, we understand is uh, gay or bisexual. Mm Mm-hmm. And clearly, like, struggles with that, like, clearly is, like, he's closeted, he feels, like, a certain amount of shame around it or, like, complicated feelings. Yeah. And the whole following episode to this one, Montrose has a side plot line where he's, like, kind of in a daze and kind of, but also going through this awakening almost to his identity as a queer man. And he's with this other man, Sammy, and is kind of like experiencing like love with this man. And then also is kind of introduced to like Sammy and the drag world that Sammy inhabits. Yeah. So kind of getting to experience a sense of freedom in this drag community that he has not experienced thus far. And so we get scenes with him that are supposed to be almost like joyful and like moving in his like exploration of his identity and acceptance. Um, but for me, it was just so overshadowed by the fact that he had just murdered someone and like we're supposed to be happy for him that yeah. he can like kiss his boyfriend. And I'm like, no, like this is not good. Yeah, the whole thing was just and I mean, like, I know that it's complicated because like, you know, that Montrose has kind of this like internal like anger and rage that probably has to do with the fact that like he has had to like hide his identity and his feelings and the fact that that comes out in the form of like a murder and then he gets to explore his sexuality later in the next episode it's very complicated and i'm not saying that they're saying he's evil because he's gay but like that's kind of like almost what you walk away with like yeah i just feel like it's totally all over the place and it doesn't give the proper time and space to literally like a murder like it's just kind of like okay moving on now let's like explore this yeah. and it doesn't like it, talk it wags it. its finger at him it's like you shouldn't have done that but yeah. we're all gonna walk away from this like atticus speeds him up and that's it yeah and it just like <laughs> i don't know once again like montrose's identity as a closeted queer black man could have been very interesting. And I really like that story. Yeah, I just... And I mean, there are elements, I think, of it that are worth discussing and are interesting and topical, but, like, that contrast that we get between the end of uh, the Indiana Jones episode and the whole next one with him kind of just completely derailed that plot line and his character and it was, like, one of the biggest issues I had with the show. Definitely. Let's move on. Let's go on to another disturbing and weird thing. <laughs> yeah, these episodes back to back were, I think, my least favorite. Um, this one involves Ruby. So Ruby ends up meeting with William in the show, who is like this guy that was kind of friends with Christina at Artem. Yeah. And like, she's like, mm, you're like a sexy, like white boy, whatever. Like, I'll like hook up with you, whatever. Yeah. So they hook up and sleep together and... That's during the Indiana Jones episode, and the next episode begins with Ruby waking up to discover that she is now a white woman. Yeah. And in the show, she kind of hooks up with Caleb instead. Or in the, the mo- in the book. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I'm mixing it up. It's, I mean, because, yeah, we're talking about Christina and Caleb, and then also William is in there doing yeah. things, so it's kind of a trio, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a threesome <laughs> of white people. Uh, yeah, so... She wakes up, discovers she's white, and kind of, like, escapes the house. She's freaked out. And 
kind of like different experiences in both versions, but surprisingly discovers <laughs> that her experiences as a white woman are much better than her experiences as a black woman. She's like, wow, people are just like willing to buy shit for me. They're so nice to me. Like they give me the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. What an experience. <laughs> I would double down on this shit. I would reorder or yeah. resubscribe to this. Mm-hmm. I do like, though, that it's kind of explored. Like there's a scene where she's kind of freaking out and like the cops come up in both the book and the show and they're kind of like, are these black kids hurting you? Yeah. And they're like ready to to like kill these kids. Basically. Yeah. Um, and she has to talk them down mm-hmm. and just kind of showing that difference of experience and what that's like for, you know, Ruby and being like, oh, my God, this is what it's like to be white, like a white woman. Like men are literally willing to lynch someone. Yeah. Because you said so. Exactly. And so. Uh, this is a very uh, enticing offer to Ruby. Caleb slash William is like, I mean, you can keep turning into this uh, white woman with this potion Mm -hmm. if you just kind of like do odd jobs for me from time to time. And so Ruby agrees to this. You know, there's too much advantage to getting to be a white woman that she can't pass this up. In the show, she decides to get a job. <laughs> yeah. And she starts working at this department store that she's always wanted to work at, but beco- because she was black, like, the opportunities for her were very limited. Um, and it's sort of interesting, sort of not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Her experiences in this department store. Um, but, like, in the end, she ends up, like, kind of viciously assaulting the white manager and I'm not saying that he wasn't like a shitty person but I think the gruesomeness of the scene to me was just very upsetting and it was really over the top kind of like I don't even want to talk about it more specifically than that because it was that upsetting for me to watch and like I think with the tone of like the music playing and what happens like it wants you to like be rooting for her in this moment but like I don't know. It was way too vicious. It was way too visually gruesome. Yeah. And just like, I was very repulsed by it. Yeah. Uh, On top of this, in the show, the transformation of Ruby is much more uh, gross, (laughs) I'll say. Yeah. The first time she starts changing back from white back to black Ruby, uh, William like stabs her. And, like, has to, like, cut her out of the white body. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, she just has... She's able to transform in her own. But, like, it's just really gross. Like, it's effective. Like, it visually, like, is convincing. Yeah. But, like, the skin is peeling off her. And she has to, like, pull it off. And it's very bloody. Uh, I like this idea to a degree. I like adding a body horror element to this. Yeah. That what she is doing to herself isn't just this, like simple transformation but it's something like gross and harmful to her yeah and kind of asking like what is ruby willing to put herself through to have this whiteness yeah and to experience like people being nice to her yeah uh and so i appreciate that element of the story that it's like kind of body horror and disturbing However, I do think the show overdoes it. Overdoes it. It shows us way too much for too long. I think one scene of this would be enough and then maybe kind of like quick 
shots of it happening again, but it not does like it a lot. It's extended too. Yeah, it's it, like long, long scenes. scenes. It does it three or four times across multiple episodes. Yeah. Um, we also find out, like later, and we might as well just talk about it now. That William, who's like this white boy that Ruby's been kind of hooking up with and like having a good time with and who is giving her this potion is actually Christina, who has been taking a potion to make herself a man. And I do find this a little bit interesting in the fact that like Christina also wants to experience privilege that she doesn't have, um, which is male privilege. But it raises some questions about Christina's sexuality and also Ruby's sexuality because Ruby kind of is like okay with this and ends up like working with Christina and kind of forming a relationship with her, but it's not explored. Yeah. And in terms of like a reveal at first, it's like, oh my God. Cause like you, I wasn't expecting it at all. But when you think about it, you're like, okay, so William is Christina and that means what? It doesn't change a lot. It doesn't change anything. Besides her relationship with Ruby. Exactly. Um, which I don't think is fully explored. Yeah. So like, even though it's a shocking reveal and I think they did a lot to earn that. Cause I mean, you're like, Oh, you never see them together at the same time. That kind of thing. I think ultimately it's kind of an empty reveal. Cause it doesn't do a lot. I agree. There's a better one later. And I think, and then we get this scene of Ruby as a white woman having sex with white William. And she knows it's Christina And then she starts like transforming back into Ruby and it's very like gross and violent, but they're still fucking. And I'm like, what is this? What is happening? What's happening? I would also like to say there is a lot of nudity in this show. Yeah. I wasn't bothered by it, but it was just a lot and a lot of sex scenes, a lot of butts. A lot of uh, gory sex scenes. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, if you could take all those sex scenes and have them and use that time to I don't develop characters a little bit more. I think I would have preferred that. Yeah. Just a lot of sex scenes and nudity. It was interesting. It was a choice. <laughs> it was a choice. <laughs> um, but in terms of this story, though, like I think this was could had potential to be the most interesting. Yeah. I think you know what would Ruby give up to be white, which is unexpected. I think you Ruby seems like a strong you know black woman. Yeah. And that she would be like. Would potentially Very self-assured. Like, yeah, and would, like, scoff at that notion of, like, being white, but then when actually given that chance, actually takes it. Mm-hmm. I think is revealing of her character and interesting. I just don't think the show, or even the book to a degree... No. Um, ...explores it as well as it could. I think this could be its own story. Yeah. I, I do, too. Mm-hmm. So we get an episode in the show now that's totally unique to the show, and it's not in the book at all which is sort of a flashback episode that takes place in Korea. And we know from the show and in the book as well that Atticus served in the Korean War. And there's a lot more references in the show to like his trauma from the war and that also there was like a woman that he left behind there. Yeah. And so this is kind of that woman's story. And her name is either Jaya or Jia. And I am sorry that we don't know the pronunciation. I think... I think it's Jaya, but I don't know. We put like a lot of things on subtitles. And so then we just read them while we're watching <laughs> yeah. even, and like don't pay attention. Um, but so the the story starts with her and we quickly discover that she's some type of like demon that when she has sex with Kamiho. a man. Kamiho. Yeah. And when she has sex with a man, these nine 
weird hairy tails come out of her like face and body and just like explode the man (laughs) uh steal his soul yeah eat his soul and that like this is her role and it's kind of a complicated but interesting situation i'm not sure i totally understand it yeah her mom called on this kumiho nine-tailed fox spirit and wanted vengeance on her husband because her husband was uh, raping her young daughter. Um, and I guess the price for summoning the spirit was that the spirit actually manifested in her young daughter. Yeah. And so it's really the spirit occupying her daughter's body and not really her daughter anymore. Yeah. And so she's kind of like has kind of an odd personality, like I think is disconnected from emotions a lot yeah um she really loves going to the movies which Mm -hmm. i kind of like as a trait um but ultimately like there's kind of this weird dynamic with her and her mom yeah because the mom is like you have to eat a lot of men hurry up i want to see my daughter again yeah once she consumes a hundred male souls yeah then she can return i guess to the demon plane and her daughter will return Mm -hmm. um so Jaya is, like, kind of trying to do all this and have sex with a lot of men and kill them. And also holding a job. Yeah, no, it's a tough, like, position to be in. She's busy, yeah. She's got a lot going on. She has a good friend that is also a nurse and who is, like, you know, affiliated with with the communists. And basically, she and Jaya and some of the other nurses get, like, kidnapped by, like, the United States military and basically, like tortured and killed to find out who is like the communist spy yeah and we see atticus in a very upsetting scene where he walks up and shoots one of the nurses in the head uh um jaya's like best friend just shoots her in front of her yeah and so later on uh atticus actually ends up in the hospital wing that jaya works in and she's like He's number 100. Yeah. I'm going to fucking kill him. I'm going to fuck him. I'm going to fuck him and then then kill kill him. Fucking kill him. (laughs) (laughs) And so she kind of like starts talking to him, but is kind of like surprised that he's actually like very chill and like seems to be struggling, but is kind to her. They bond over like books and movies and then also talk about like kind of the weight of their parents' expectations and stuff and like kind of the trauma that they've been through as well. And there's this scene where Jaya's like, okay, we're going to fuck. Like, I'm going to eat you. Like, <laughs> it's going to be a thing. And she's actually overcome by feeling more tender towards him. And so it doesn't go through with it. Um, and then she kind of comes to him later and is like, tells him the truth. Like, I know that you were the one that, like, tortured and killed my best friend. But, like, I'm also fucked up. And she doesn't exactly say why and is like... You know, I think we can choose to be better than what we were or what we are. I think, yeah, I think this episode, and it's interesting, I think it does a really good job that the Montrose storyline failed in of, like, showing Atticus committing, like, a really, um, like, oh, oh he's, he, he shoots someone in the head. And, yeah. like, it's very disturbing to see him do that yeah and then to try to humanize him later is difficult but i mean first of all there's the war context that i think helps that yeah um but i think it does a lot to like show his struggles and like show his connection to jaya and i think 
I don't know. I think this episode does a really good job overall. Like tonally, I think the characters arcs and what they're going through align really well. Um, ultimately after that discussion they have, uh, they end up, uh, sleeping together. I think it's all about Jaya being on top. Yeah. It seems like when she's on top, (laughs) she can control her tail. She can have sex and not kill people. It's good. They seem very happy until one day she's not on top. She's on bottom. (laughs) (laughs) But her tails are revealed and Atticus kind of freaks out. Um, he's not killed and is able to run away. And Jaya sees kind of like his future and sees that he might be murdered. Yeah. And she tries to tell him this, but he like won't listen because he's understandably freaked out. Yeah. He's like, you have fucking tails. He hasn't man. experienced any weird shit until now in yeah. his life. And so he leaves. Um, and we have seen in a couple episodes, uh, Atticus call her from mm-hmm. America and her just... Basically giving ominous warnings. Yeah, very sinister on the I told you not to go back. (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think this episode was really good, though. I think tonally it had a good balance that sometimes the other episodes are all over the place. Yeah. And I also think it's aided by the fact that, like, it can solely focus on this backstory. On this one character. And it's interesting because, like, the book kind of does that. Like, each section of the book is kind of more following one character like Letty in her haunted house, Ruby and like this potion thing. Um, George and Montrose and this like um, Indiana Jones adventure, Horace and like his curse and things like that later. Yeah. And the show tries to do that too, but is still having the burden of interweaving the stories of all the other characters as well and keeping up with them. So I don't think it works as well. I agree. And I think this episode thrives from just being able to be like totally separate yeah and actually this issue comes up in the following episode a lot for me episode seven because this is kind of um hippolyta's story yeah george's wife yeah um but the whole like almost first half of the episode is dedicated to like oh, what is Atticus up to? What is Montrose up to? Like, what is this character? What's Letty up to? Ruby? Like, it has to, like, touch base with everyone. Because once Hippolyta's story begins, it's kind of such a wild ride that it can't really be spliced up. Yeah, Yeah. with other stories. But it really drew a clear, I don't want to say problem, but, like, something I think the show struggles with in terms of, like, balancing different storylines amid a character's own specific plot line per episode. I agree. Yeah. And Hippolyta in this kind of arc for her in both the book and the show, um, finds like a key slash book in the orrery, which is the model of the solar system found in the Winthrop house. And she goes to this observatory where there's like, fancy machine is and realizes that it's kind of like a portal machine yeah. to other worlds slash other times. Yeah. And uh, so in the book, she uh, kind of punches in this like specific coordinates she found in the book and discovers a woman living in like a weird house, a black woman, a black woman. Yes. Uh, and it's a very weird, interesting story. Yeah. She's on another planet. She talks to this woman, Ida, and Ida is basically like, yeah, I was one of Winthrop's servants and he just left us here. There were like five or six of us. And he was like, here, you're on another planet because you're being punished and I'll come back for you later. And then he never came back. (laughs) Yeah. 
And, and everyone else died. Yeah, and Ida kind of tells the story of, like, what happened to all of them, because there were, like, three or four of them originally, and now it's only her, and she yeah. kind of, like... And there's, like, some monsters on this planet, and, like, weird technology that, like, feeds them. It's a very odd story. I'm not totally sure what we were supposed to, like, get from it. <laughs> well, and, too, like, the reason that the servants were being punished was because Winthrop's son ran off with one of the black servants. Pearl. So his son, Henry, ran off with Pearl. And Ida is actually Pearl's mother. So she's like, I had to protect my daughter. Like, I didn't want Winthrop to know where they went because I had information. And like, even though Winthrop is dead now, she's like, his ghost is still around. So I still don't want to come back. Like, I'll stay here. I'll stay here on this planet (laughs) because Hippolyta is like, come back with me. Like, don't stay here. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. But she's like, no, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> At this point, I'm okay. Um, and so Hippolyta, she has to like escape kind of past this weird monster that was yeah. interesting. And these cops that followed her yeah. and like get killed. So. But the monster ate the cops. So like one problem fixed another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she's able to escape. Um, and that's basically like I also tried to kill her, but it didn't work. <laughs> uh, so Hippolyta was able to to leave. And that was kind of like the plot line. The show does a very, very, very different thing. Yeah. Hippolyta either goes to like the far future or like a different version of Earth or something and gets like these weird powers and is like, I'm just going to go on this like journey of self-discovery for like 200 years. <laughs> yeah. But like it's not going to really be any time on Earth. She dances with Josephine Baker in Paris, like all sexy. She yeah. loves it. She's smoking <laughs> like it's fun. Yeah. Uh, she then like goes to like this African tribe of like warrior women and like trains with them until she can beat the leader of the warrior. Oh, women. yeah. She's like a badass now. She can like fight and shit. Yeah. She gets to like kind of go back in time and talk to George, her husband, who has died and kind of confront him about like their relationship and how kind of like a traditional heterosexual relationship in this time kind of relied on women giving up a lot of their themselves to be in a marriage and to be mothers and wives. Yeah. Which is interesting. And I like this conversation. Um, we also get a cool, interesting montage of like a super campy, like sci-fi kind of like space exploration that like just for the aesthetics, I appreciated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Yeah, and Hippolyta just kind of has this whole journey of self-discovery. My only issue is that, like, I I don't know, this is, like, a 20-minute portion of the show or the episode. Yeah. And it's kind of like there's no narrative of, like, anything specifically she's trying to achieve. No, and, like, Hippolyta is an important character, but she's not, like, the main character. I would say Atticus and Letty are the main characters, so to have this much time spent on her and not have it really affect anyone else that much. No. And what she does with this like newfound, like understanding and freedom and power, like, I mean, affects the plot, but isn't like huge. No, it could have done it other ways. Yeah. It just feels like I love her getting to like, as a mother and you know what I mean? A woman like kind of, you know, getting on in years, like, kind of being empowered in this way. I love that. Yeah. I just wish it was, like, tied more into, like, a plot line of her trying to achieve something. I think it's also a little confusing because, like, we discover that, like, 
Hippolyta doesn't come back immediately in the show. Yeah. Like it takes, I don't know how long it takes. Couple weeks. Yeah. But like, was she aware? Of how much time was passing. Yeah. Because that would have been interesting. Like if she's on this journey of self-discovery, but understands like, you know, maybe she's told like, hey, a week has passed in your world. And she's like, oh shit. Like people, I have to go back to my People daughter. don't know where I am. Like people mm-hmm. are worried about me. Should I go back? But I'm also like on this journey that I, you know what I mean? That would have been. Yeah. At but least, we don't get that at No, all. like at least stakes would have been involved then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wish like it was tied a little bit more together in some kind of goal. I, I suppose. agree. And like Atticus comes in the show to like help Hippolyta Mm -hmm. and like kind of fights off these like white dudes that are trying to like stop Hippolyta from going in this portal and he actually goes into a portal himself and ends up getting someone hands him a book and then he's shoved back through the portal and is back on earth and he now has the book Lovecraft Country and we find out that it was written by his son so this is kind of like the reveal that like Atticus somehow traveled to the future or a version of the future yeah so let's get into D slash Horace's story. Yeah. What should should it be Doris or he? I'm putting <laughs> you on the spot. Hori. Hori. <laughs> uh, George and Hippolyta's child uh, in this story, who, I mean, is very similar in both versions. They're kind of an aspiring artist. Yeah. They also enjoy science fiction and they write like their own comics mm-hmm. about Orithea Blue. Uh, that they give to their mother. And the show begins in kind of an interesting, I'll say interesting way, which is uh, they are at kind of a public viewing um, for Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Who is the very young black boy who was lynched, tortured, and murdered. And his public funeral was kind of like Almost like a spark, I would say. One of many sparks in the civil rights movement uh, at this time. But in the show, Emmett Till is actually a friend of Dee. Mm -hmm. And so this is like very traumatizing for her and for the whole like black community. I don't know if this reference works super well in the story. I don't know why, like... They literally could have just, like, used a different name. Yeah. And people would know, like, oh, this is a reference to Emmett Till. This is very similar to that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. To work in the actual murder of an actual child into this kind of fictional story. Like, I know the story's about, like, a lot of heavy su- subjects. Yeah. Um, But overall, like, its placement in the story feels very... Like, it doesn't factor in much. No, and Dee is dealing with the aftermath of this. And so she's definitely traumatized. But, like, honestly, it could have been anything. I mean, her dad is dead. And at this point, her mom has disappeared. Yeah. And then, like, oh, and now her best friend is dead. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just, like... It seems like too much. Yeah, like, really hitting her overly hard. Exploiting this... Maybe exploiting is the wrong word, but maybe just like bringing up this really horrible thing that happened in history for like purposes of the story that I don't think even uses it very well. Um, But it's like trauma, you know, like it's black trauma, like in history. And this will be brought up again with like the Tulsa massacre as well. Yeah, It's like, what's what's the purpose of bringing this up? Because it's very horrific, you know, Uh and it's hard for a lot of people to remember, you know. So I don't know if this was effectively done. 
And then at the end of the episode, we also get Christina Braithwaite deciding, because she's invulnerable because of magic, so she can't die. So she gets, like, two white men to murder her in the exact same way that Emmett Till is murdered. But, of course, she doesn't die because she's invulnerable. And she's like, oh, that was fun. (laughs) Basically. And I'm I'm like, like, what what was this? Well, it's, like, so weird, okay? Because she gets in this argument with Ruby, and Ruby's mad at her. She's like... I can tell you don't care about Emmett Till and that's like fucked up. And she's like, you're right. I don't care. And also you don't care. Yeah. And then she like throws it back at Ruby. But then in the next moment we see her, she's hired these men to kill her this. So like she had this weird decision off screen that suddenly she wanted to experience this. And then (laughs) she goes through this experience. She seems visibly shaken up by it, but then literally it is never addressed or brought up again. No. Like did she, did, did she learn anything from this? It's never clear. She never talks about it. I. And what's the point of seeing this violence enacted on like a yeah. white Yeah. Like, is it supposed to be cathartic for it's the not, viewer? It's not, she doesn't die. No, even. it's not. So it's pointless. I just didn't like how this was handled in this episode at all. Um, that New York, not New Yorker, uh, New York Times article also mentioned this and kind yeah. of being handled poorly. Um, but like... The essential story, I'll say, of this episode slash chapter um, is D slash um, Horace getting cursed, basically. Yeah, some uh, cops find them uh, because uh, when Hippolyta <laughs> escaped, You're Ad- piecing this together. Adina is watching my like face cr- like scrunch up as I try to think of the names and the expl- You're explanation. You're connecting strings. I right am. Now. I've got my cork board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hippolyta left the comic that Horace slash D made her at the scene of the crime where the um, observatory was. So they track it back to Horace slash D. Yeah. Um, and start questioning them. Cause like there were bodies found at this scene and they think like Hippolyta was involved. And the police is uh, tragically also involved in the white warlocks <laughs> wizards <laughs> yeah. uh, community. So he ends up cursing them and it's a really interesting curse. It's very gross. He uses his spit. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> where, like these black caricatures start to kind of like chase slash try to kill this, you know, D or Horace. Yeah. And in the book, it's like a couple different like versions of this black caricature. And then it kind of settles on this like black devil doll. Yeah. Like kind of what you would imagine in like some kind of voodoo doll, like very stereotypically uh-huh. like African stereotyped yeah yeah and i think the book did a good job of kind of like exploring this idea a little bit more in terms of like it's these black caricatures and advertising and media and like in you know this voodoo doll thing uh that like start to like haunt him yeah and and try to kill him yeah and like different versions of it come up and i think it's like really interesting to take that like kind of haunting narrative and apply it to that i think it's like super cool yeah uh i mean not super cool but like (laughs) you know i think it's a good combination of the horror trope uh with kind of like the commentary of the black experience which like the different chapters of this story have varying degrees of success with this um i think this is one of the better ones i don't know if i like this in the book 
Like the whole devil doll thing is kind of dumb in my mind. I really? don't like it. Yeah. I liked it. It seems, I don't know. It's I, like I that think... whole like Chucky slash. I, I just don't <laughs> like that idea. I thought the. Because like, it creeps you out or you just think it's dumb? No, I just think that it's settling in the form of like the devil doll was stupid and I didn't like that. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't my favorite element of the things that were haunting him. Uh, I do think in the show, the creepy twins were creepier. Oh my God. It was (laughs) horrifying. Dee gets haunted by these like illustrations of uh, pickaninnies, which is a word to describe uh, a character of black children named like Topsy and Bopsy or something from Uncle Tom's Tom's cabin. Yeah. Yeah. And they are terrifying. Let me just tell you. It was very bad to watch. Their movements and their long nails. It was very like us. It was. Uh, I do like them as like a visual and a creepy like haunting element. I just wish it had explored because like when she's first cursed like this very racist ad that's in the alley, its eyes follow her. Yeah. But then it settles on those two. It settles on the twins. Too fast. Very quickly, yeah. And I wish we got to explore just more general racist imagery that's kind of like haunting her. Yeah. Because I like that idea. But it was just like the twins for like almost the whole episode. Yeah. And I don't think it embodies the idea as well when it's just these creepy girls like the whole time. The idea of like black caricatures. Yeah, I agree. So, But I think scarier, definitely. Oh, yeah. No, they were <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> also at this time, Letty ends up making a deal with Christina so she can be invulnerable because she's pregnant. So she's like, I got to protect myself. So now I'm invulnerable as well. Um, also at this time, <laughs> there's like a shootout at the house. Yeah, the police chief shows up. I, like, honestly, there's what? so much plot in the show. It's so much. It's so much. Like, of, like, who's after, like, the pages and the book and the uh, the spells on each other and the... I don't know. Like, the show gets really bogged down with MacGuffins and yeah. kind of the things that, like, I had a really hard time following. Definitely. And, like... We were reading the book, too, and it didn't make sense to us. Like, it was confusing. Like, they changed so much that we weren't even able to, like, have a leg up to, like, follow yeah, along, even, yeah. which is sometimes the case with adaptations. But, like, in the scene, the police chief, who's, like, the white wizard shit, um, starts attacking the house, and then Letty's invulnerable, so she's good. And then Atticus and Montrose did a spell, and then it ends up conjuring one of those, like, Shoggoths. Shograths? Shograths? Shograths. <laughs> <laughs> to I'll never remember. Atticus. Yeah, I did think this scene was like very just kind of like enjoyable and just kind of a visceral way. The way the Shograth uh, jumps from the ground and yeah. like blocks the bullet for Atticus. And, and then, then like eats all the Just kind of massacres everyone. Like yeah. it was more fun than like gruesome, I think. Yes. Uh, and then the reveal that like, oh, it obeys Atticus. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know. Um, In the book, Caleb cures Horace from this like curse. Yes. Yeah. In the show, Christina kind of helps, but she can't cure it. And in exchange for that help, Atticus has to come with her to the Artem for the autumnal equinox where she's probably going to murder him. <laughs> yeah, that's the, she's like, I'll save like D like a little bit in exchange for your life. And he's like, ah, Jesus. And it was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And in the next episode, they have to 
find the Book of Names. And in the book, it's different. They're searching for like Hiram Winthrop's lost notebooks that his son took with him when he ran off with Pearl. Um, and Montrose actually kind of goes on this journey and finds the ghosts of um, Winthrop's son um, because he and his black wife and Mick's child were murdered because they decided to move into a white town. So he actually ends up getting the notebooks um, and we get kind of get an exploration where Montrose is talking about growing up in Tulsa during the massacre in the 20s and like what happened to his family and stuff. And so he kind of relives that a little bit. Um, we see the trauma that happened to Winthrop's son mm-hmm. and kind of like that extension of like not being able to just like live your life as a black person. Yeah, I think Montrose is just him telling the story was very effective yeah. and kind of like you just experiencing. And I think that's cool that like a book can do that. Like it can just make him giving this whole story like compelling and you're kind of like experiencing it as the reader yeah but obviously the show just can't have Montrose telling the entire story like they gotta go back they gotta go back back to the past back in time (laughs) so they go to in order to get the book because the book burned up in the Tulsa fires uh they go to the observatory where uh, Hippolyta has yes. magic powers now, so she can open a portal to the past for them to go through. So Letty, Montrose, and Atticus go back to Tulsa on the night of the massacre. And you'll notice that we're referring to the Tulsa massacre as the Tulsa massacre and not the Tulsa riots because it wasn't a riot. It was black people being systematically murdered by white people, so it was a massacre. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, this, I think it's... It's a mixed bag. Like, I do think in one way they represent kind of the brutality of it in a way that takes it seriously. But on another hand, like, to reference this situation within, like, a time-traveling sci-fi kind of a way is a little bit like, is it using this... Effectively. Yeah. What I do like about this episode is exploring Montrose a bit more um, and getting, like, seeing the way that his father, like, beat him um, and seeing the way that he internalized and hated himself for being queer and, like, his regrets from this time. Like, he had a, a friend that he was clearly, like, romantically involved with when he was younger who gets killed on this night and it, like, has haunted him like for the mm-hmm. rest of his life. And so I think that's really effective in terms of like an entire community and their whole family being like murdered. I don't know if it really gives it the gravity of like what actually happened. Yeah. I, I, something we have not addressed that absolutely needs to be addressed is the performances in this show, like across the board, everyone is phenomenal. Oh, so good. Like, I know we've kind of criticized a lot of the elements of the story and, um, like, the writing and the character arcs, but, like, none of that is due to the actors. No. Because I think the actors do everyone. They elevate the material. They really do. They do a phenomenal job across the board. I think, ultimately, a lot of the problems we have with the show are in the writing and the plotting and kind of the... The overly complicated situations. Yeah, but, I mean, just everyone, um... From Montrose to Atticus to let just like because they all get their kind of moments to, to Letty, shine to D to D like yeah. D's episode really highlighted what a good actress she was yeah for being so young especially um yeah and there's also kind of this like moment where uh, Atticus realizes that this 
figure that George talked about from the Tulsa riots that like saved them was in fact him. They Harry Pottered it. Yeah. They Prisoner of Azkaban it. <laughs> where he's like, oh, that's it's me. The Terminator timeline. Yeah, it is. So Atticus grabs a baseball bat and ends up defending uh, George and Montrose. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the cho- the children uh, by just wailing on um, some racists with a baseball bat. Yeah. And they get the book. They go back to the future. They actually end up curing D, but like her one arm is kind of like withered from the experience. Yeah, it's really upsetting. It is really upsetting. Her mom gives her a robot arm because she just has all these powers now that aren't really explained. I guess that's (laughs) what happened. I don't know. I mean, I know you would know how to build a robot arm given the supplies. Yeah. But like, where does one like fabricate? Like it obviously it's not just the knowledge of how to do it, but like the materials. Anyway, I won't... (laughs) Focus on that too much. Anyway, we're at the end of the stories. And the book kind of brings us all together in this last chapter where everybody kind of gets together. They talk about what's been going on. They realize that Caleb's kind of been playing them and he wants them all to help them help him get one over on Lancaster, the wizard police guy. Um, (laughs) And they decide that they're going to use this opportunity to kind of like stop Caleb from messing with them forever and end up getting the help of Winthrop, the ghost from the yeah, house, yeah. to like change the word on the spell a little bit, and they actually end up uh, banning Caleb from magic forever. So he's out of their life. They're kind of like, cool, we're good now. We have some access to magic, like we might be able to protect ourselves. And that's kind of like where the story, where the book ends. Yeah, yeah. The final chapter is kind of like a heist, which is kind of fun. Everyone yeah. plays a role, um, and I really liked. Caleb's character in the book and his kind of fate because like he wasn't nearly as shitty as Christina in the show. Yeah. He like whenever he was kind of shitty, he had like a very logical explanation. Like, I'm sorry I had to steal your book. (laughs) The police chief like needed to believe I was serious about this. Mm -hmm. Like and he did pay them like a shit ton of money. And like he is nice to Ruby and like he's very good at explaining things away. But he does kind of act like they owe him. Yeah. And that he kind of owns them and he's definitely using them. And so this is their way of kind of stopping him from using them anymore. Yeah. And I just like the ambiguity of like his character isn't like he's certainly not like the shittiest person, but they're like he's way too powerful and And messing with us and we have to stop him. And so I kind of like them drawing that line in the sand and being like, you're done. Yeah, we're taking this power away from you. In the show, Christina is planning her ascension, um, <laughs> to use a Buffy term. But uh, she wants to become immortal. And to do that, she needs Atticus's blood. And she needs all of it. So she's straight up going to murder him and is like, I'm fine with it. And other people, like even Ruby, is kind of like, well, I might be fine with it. I don't know. Yeah, and and I don't know. Christina's just really like, I mean, I have to do this. And like, you're like, I'm Why? sorry. I just need Atticus to do this thing that I have to do. And I'm like, no one's making you do this. But like, I don't know. Christina like is kind of a 
complicated character, but also very villainous in a very simplistic way. Yeah, and they try to stop her. They have this whole plan how they're going to stop her. But then there's this dramatic reveal where Ruby is shown to actually be Christina. And Ruby tried to help them by getting like Christina's hair or something for a potion. (laughs) And Christina realized that Ruby had betrayed her and actually ended up either putting Ruby into a coma or killing her. It's not clear what happened to Ruby. R.I.P. Ruby, you did not deserve this. <laughs> no, but to be like, like killed off screen, yeah, essentially. But then uses a potion to become her. So she kind of like tricks them into thinking they're going to succeed. And this is like the reveal from earlier where William, oh, William is Christine, except that in this situation, there's suddenly there's a, consequences. There's consequences because like you realize that the uh the blood that she gave them wasn't real yeah. and that their plan is and now the spell fucked. won't work yeah so i liked this reveal it was very uh impactful i agree uh letty is like thrown from a tower and murdered um but then comes back to life and it's not super clear why this happens we get like a flash back about like ruby slash christina restoring Letty's mark of invulnerability like at the last second or like after she's dead and that apparently works and it's not explained. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's kind of this whole moment where Atticus is being sacrificed and then Jaya jumps in. She uses her hairy tentacles and we get these flashback moments like you said, which kind of just feel like they're trying to fill in a bunch of gaps. Yeah, that they didn't have time to no. like, explain. Yeah, they're like, oh, Ruby did this, and Ruby's secretly the here, and like, blah, 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 and like, <laughs> also this thing. And it's just like... And like, D, and... And when we watched it at first, because we know that she can also see the future, Yeah, I didn't know at first. I'm like, are these things that are going to happen or did happen? And by the time I realized... I was like, oh, I didn't notice half of the things they were showing. Yeah. And then Atticus is killed in the, like, ceremony. And with Jaya, like, kind of combining their energies with her tails, Letty is able to take away um, Christina's invulnerability and ends up actually um, conquering her and saying, like, hey, I took magic away from you. And also white people can't do magic anymore. So fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, I... It, it it feels weird to, like, criticize a show and its depiction of magic because, like, it's not like you're criticizing a real thing that you can point to as being wrong. Um, but I feel like the magic in this show was very hard to figure out. Like, yeah. in this instance, I wish they had established earlier that magic could be taken away from people. Yeah. Like, maybe Christina took magic away from the chief of police as punishment. Yeah. So we understand that's a thing that can be done. So then when it's taken away from all white people, you're making that connection in your head and, and you're, you're like, like oh, okay. oh, but like, it's just kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, we can do this thing <laughs> and we did it successfully. And it just kind of is like, oh, uh, all I didn't right. know you could do that. But yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then D shows up and ends up like murdering Christina with her robot arm. And we're like, where did this come from? Like, where is this in your character development that you're straight up like murdering people now? Like you're yeah. like 12. I don't know. It was know. really dark for, and I get she went through some shit. Yeah. Uh, my only thought is like, they're trying to set up a sequel. Yeah, I think they are. And to be fair, like when, uh, Atticus went into the future, he described a woman with a robot arm giving him the book. Yeah. So I think that's obviously, uh, 
D in the future. And they were described as riots from white people. So like D maybe like turns bad or like leads a revolution or something like it's very unclear. Yeah. But it all seems to kind of be vaguely maybe setting up non-committally yeah but setting up a sequel to the show and Atticus is dead at least as far as we know so but like who knows with all the magic I know nobody's really dead no like <laughs> it I I don't totally believe it okay I think I think we did it <laughs> I think we described both of them it's really hard when we do a show because it's so jam-packed and we want to talk about all of it, but we just don't have time. Especially this show, because like every episode was its own adventure, and it was hard to gloss over anything too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. So like, should we just go into which was better and our thoughts on both? So I really enjoyed both of them, but I actually think the book is more effective as a tool um, or like as a device. So I think my experience of the book was very interesting. It was very episodic. Like each short story, it was basically a book short stories that were kind of loosely interconnected. Felt like its own thing. Felt like its own genre. It was a clear reference to like previous literature. Um, It had its place. It had its character. And it was like able to kind of focus on that. And it did touch on larger themes. And it does bring them all together at the end. And there are connections throughout. But I felt like it kind of did what it wanted to do really well. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed the book better. I think it just embraced the episodic nature of just like being willing to focus on one character at a time. Whereas the show felt like, because I mean, there's two kind of shows you could do. You could do like the monster of the week type show, like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Um, which has a, oftentimes a very loose overarching narrative. Um, or you could have like a Breaking Bad type show where each episode builds off the last. It's yeah. kind of going towards an end. And this kind of wanted to do both, I think. Yeah. It wanted that episodic nature, but also like building towards a conclusion. And I think it really struggled with that. It led it to having to have this really complicated narrative of like um, things people were after and conflicts and like a lot of shit that like I couldn't keep track of half yeah. the time. It was a very complicated and I really wanted more from the characters. Yeah, I never felt like I knew the characters super well. Yeah, and to be fair, the same could be said for the book, but with the book, I kind of knew what the story was about and it yeah. wasn't really trying to go deep with the characters. I think that just the show really wanted to do more and in some ways it succeeds and in some ways it doesn't. And I think like a season two of the show would be very interesting. And I'd love to see like what happens with that. Um, And I think it's a really well-made show. Super well-made. Awesome performances. And I think the themes and like the thoughts that it brings up are very important. Um, But I think I'm just going to slightly prefer the book for this. Yeah. Yeah. Something about the show. It tried to do too much. And... Yeah, I just think the book was, like, a little more uh, subtle about, like, it's... Simple. Simple, yeah. I mean, hey, you know, like, I really wish the show had been simpler and had, like, focused on what was there instead of trying to add more a lot of the time. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I just think the, sh- the, the book was just a more effective version of the story, so I'm going to say book. Yeah, but I would recommend the show, so... Yeah. It's a book. It's a book! <laughs> So we're going to skip lightning round this episode. We're, you know, we, we've talked a lot already. We're over our usual time. And uh, I think we've 
kind of shared everything, you know, we've wanted to share about this story. So we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And once again, for waiting a week longer for it. Um, If you want to share your thoughts about this show or, you know, uh, the book or anything, you can email us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com. Tweet at us, cover to credits, uh, you know, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram. And you can become a patron if you'd like to support us. We have some patron benefits over there, so definitely check that out. Um, And thank you to all our patrons who do support us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.